of all the hotels and all of the resorts, vacation destinations. What else is there to mention? Um, what are the name of the people who book retreats and stuff for you, your vacations? Travel agents. Okay, of all of that stuff, there's one phrase that makes their sales go through the roof. All-inclusive. If you use the phrase all-inclusive, let me tell you something else about that phrase all-inclusive. The Christian faith is an all-inclusive faith. There's no area of my life that the Christian faith doesn't shape and inform and sometimes challenge a little bit. And I just wanted to make that point before we look at the Scripture today because we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 5 and you may walk away thinking, man, Paul was all over the place today. Like He was talking about imitating God. He was talking about sexual immorality and he was talking about living with discernment and wisdom and not being drunk with alcohol but being filled with the Spirit and singing psalms to one another. What's that about? Well, listen... At the end of this message, it's all going to make sense. But I just wanted for us to start with this thought that the Christian faith isn't just about saving my soul so that when I die, I can go to heaven one day. The Christian faith changes as much here and now as it changes in eternity. Now, that may be a difficult pill for you to swallow. You know, sometimes I talk with people and and here's their position. I'm okay with God saving my sin I just don't want him telling me what to do. That's contradictory to the Christian faith. And and I want to be clear with you up front about that. If you're here today and you're not a person of faith, maybe you're here exploring what it means to be a Christ follower, exploring what the Bible teaches about the Christian faith. I just want to love you enough to be honest with you that, that the Bible doesn't call people to have salvation for eternity, but not give their life to the Lordship of Jesus in the here and now. So we're going to be looking at some places in Ephesians chapter five where Paul is speaking to Christians, to Christ followers about this all inclusive faith and a number of places where we're called to change and to follow Jesus. Now, if you have your bulletin, you'll notice that uh, it's it's. It's kind of outlined in a very unique way today because the the notes that you're taking in your bulletin this morning really is listed or given to you in terms of commitments. There's three of them you see before we go today. We'll have a chance to fill all of this in. But the reason, let me tell you why I did this. The reason that I did this is because we're always talking about here in the fellowship that we want to be a, a loving community, building up followers of Jesus and sharing Christ everywhere that we go. And as we build up followers of Christ, here's the reality. We can't just hear the word. We can't just hear what it is that God would want to say to us. We have to respond to it. And so today, our, our notes that we're going to be writing in, in our bulletin this morning, they're framed as a response to what the text would tell us this morning. So let's look, if you would, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read little bit by little bit, kind of walk through the Scripture together today. And this morning, the very first thing that we're going to do is look at the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what God's Word says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love... As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
Now, I know a lot of you like to take the notes, so I'm going to give you the first one right now. Lord, I commit to imitating you. Now, I'm going to fill that out in just a second and explain a little bit more what I mean by that. But before I do that, would you look at the Scripture and would you notice something that's said that is theologically important and practically important for our own lives? It says that Jesus... Look in the Scripture what it says. It says that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. What does that mean? Here's what that means. It means that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, who historically walked on this earth, who, who did miracles, who taught people, who healed people, he went to the cross. He went to the cross for my sins. He went to the cross for your sins. Now, I know that the word sin is not a very popular word in today's culture. Can I tell you something? It's never been popular. And we talk often about how, well, we don't talk about sin anymore. Well, we never do because it's always uncomfortable. But the reality is, as Mike said, when we were worshiping the Lord, I'm guilty of sin. And you are as well. And the scripture says, Ephesians 5, that Christ loved us enough that he gave himself for us. He was crucified. He paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin. That is a glorious story. And maybe you've never heard that before, but I want you to be convinced of this. This is your first time in church. This is your first time hearing this. I want you to be convinced of this, that God loved you enough to create a way for you to be reconciled back to Him. It's a glorious story. That may be confusing for you. That may be, you, that may be something you have a lot of questions about, and I'll make this commitment to you. Today, if you want to talk about that, I will stay at this church as long as necessary to visit with you one-on-one about what it means to have life in Jesus. But so the first commitment is that I commit to being an imitator of God. Look at the scripture. Look what it says. It says, as beloved children. You know what I think about when I think about this? I think about those little toddlers. Their parents, mom or daddy walking in front of them. Maybe grandma, grandpa, aunt or uncle. And that little toddler's trying to keep up. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever seen a little child try to imitate the parent and walk behind them? It's the funniest thing in the world. And, and, I, and I don't say that in a sense that it's like we should make fun of these poor kids. We should cheer for them. Do you remember how frustrating it is when we were trying to learn to walk? No, you don't. You don't remember what it was like. But think about this. Think about the frustration of that child falling over, getting back up. Falling over, getting back up. Toddling around, trying to follow mom or dad. Dad turns left, following right there behind you. I don't know if this is right to say in church or not, but we used to call our kids ankle biters. (laughs) They followed us everywhere we went. Now we can't find them in the house. I want you to notice it says, be imitators of God. And just think about this, okay? The reality is, when it says, as beloved children, this is as a child watches and trusts and spends time with their parents, their authorities, and they watch them and they learn how to walk and they learn how to talk and and they learn all of these different maneuvers for life. That's what this text is getting at. 
That's why your kids talk like you. Isn't that scary? I saw something online the other day. It says nothing is more scary than trying to parent the you out of your child. But the good news with God is that that's okay. Because He doesn't have to parent the God out of His children. In fact, we need more of that in our life. So the first commitment, Lord, I commit to imitating You. The second commitment, if you look with me in Scripture, has to do with sexual immorality. Look with me in verse 3. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, covetous, that is idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. So the next commitment is, Lord, I, I commit to sexual integrity. I want to say a little bit about this. Because this is a spot that some of us like to get on soapboxes and talk about other people. Which I think is a fair conversation for us to have. What all falls under the umbrella of sexual sin or sexual immorality? By the way, that phrase sexual immorality is purposely vague because it's a phrase... To signal that there's a whole host of things that would fit under this category. But for our purposes this morning, I want you to know that sexual integrity has to do with three things. The first thing it has to do with is our actions. What we choose to do with our bodies. Sexual integrity involves actions. Actions that you have to decide about every day. Actions about what you do. And what you don't do. However, sexual integrity is more than the actions that we commit. Sexual integrity also has to do with where we decide to dwell with our desires. What we choose to spend our time thinking about. What we do with the sexual images that are in and out of our imagination. You see, you can be a a sexually immoral person and your actions on the outside, what you physically and literally do with your body, nobody could speak against you. But the scripture says that not only is it what we do with our body, it's the thoughts that we choose to dwell on. And that's a really important part of this conversation Because what we dwell on on the inside often influences, if not always influences, what we finally end up doing with our body. The third thing I would want to say to you this morning about sexual integrity is that not only is it our actions and what we dwell on in our imagination, but it's also our speech. In fact, the scripture says this very clearly in the text. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. So as we think about the gospel being all-inclusive, shaping not only the trajectory of my soul, 
not only forgiving my sin, but shaping my sexuality, I think it's important for us to notice that God isn't just concerned with what we do sexually with our body, but how we talk about sexuality. Here it says again, let there be no filthiness. Let there be no foolish talk. Let there be no crude joking, which are out of place. You know, some of you have no idea what Facebook is, and that's good. Don't try to figure it out. Just live your life in peace. Some of you don't know about social media, but some of you do. And some of you, your actions, what you do sexually with your body may be appropriate. But the things that you look at and the things that you laugh at, the jokes that you listen to and retell, dishonor the Lord. And so when the scripture says that God's people are to live with sexual integrity, I want you to understand it's more than disciplining yourself in your actions. Because God's word and the spirit of God wants to shape not only our actions, but what we love to think about and imagine and what we love to talk about and the types of jokes that we tell. That's important for us to understand. The third area of commitment is in the area of living with discernment and wisdom. With discernment and wisdom. You see in your notes that we're going to get through 21 verses. And so this is the section of the message where we're going to cover a lot of verses at one time. Here's what God's word says. Picking back up in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We sang about that, didn't we? Very first song we sang today. I was dead, but I came out of that grave because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. He's given me life. Arise, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Some people say debauchery. How do you say it up here? Debauch. Debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. So don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This may be outlining 
for you some practices that you've never really thought about. What does it mean to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? You know, during the week when we come into the office, that's how we speak to you. We sing to one another. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Marilyn is praising God that I don't come into the office singing to her. But, But the scripture says that we need to be living with discernment and with wisdom. That's what God's word is saying in the scripture. A couple of things. First of all, because it helps our theological belief. Did you see that scripture that says, do not let anyone deceive you? Why? Because what we think becomes what we do. And so if you're listening to poor teaching or inaccurate teaching about who God is and about what he wants for your life, if you are absorbing that, if you are digesting that, if you are being deceived by the teachings of the scripture, that's going to translate into your everyday life. And so the word of God says to live with discernment and wisdom for the sake of our theological beliefs, for the sake of what we know to be true about God, but also as it relates to our lifestyle. The scripture says, be wise with how you spend your days. Be wise with what you do with your time on this earth. Make the most of your opportunities. God has given you an incredible gift. And every day that time goes by, you have to be accountable for how you spent your time. Time is the only thing that you can spend that you can't get a refund on. You can't get it back. And so we need to be wise and discerning with what we choose to believe about the scripture, but also about how we spend our time. And scripture says that we need to live with wisdom so that we know how to make the most of our time. And it goes on to talk about peace and unity with which we as brothers and sisters in Christ should be living. Peace and unity should mark our life. In fact, I made a joke about it, but, but think about what the, the, this vision that Paul is giving for the church, worshiping together, making much of God when we're together, when we're spending time together. It's an important thing for us to think about. Scripture goes on to say, <clears throat> giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, And look with me at this last verse, verse 21, important verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, I can honor God and I can lift up Jesus and I can revere Jesus and I can make much of Jesus with how I treat you. The scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means... That because of my relationship with Jesus, I should treat you differently than I did before I was in Christ. My relationship with God shapes how I treat others around me. So you've seen there in front of you the three challenges, the three opportunities, the three commitments that God's word sets before us. Lord, I commit to imitating you. Lord, I commit to sexual integrity. Lord, I commit to living my life with discernment and wisdom. But then the question is how? And so I want to give you a strategy before we close today. Some words of wisdom, some words of advice, some thoughts on if you can apply this to your daily living, 
you have an incredible shot at actually not just listening to these three points, but doing them in your everyday life. So let me walk through these five things. First of all, keep my eyes on the ways of Jesus. Keep my eyes on the ways of Jesus. If you look back up at the scripture that we began with this morning, God's word says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And then he uses Jesus as an example, as Christ loved us and and gave himself for us. Last week, we talked about the fact that I am not the model that you're supposed to live up to. Jesus is. Jesus is the standard by which we gauge whether or not our life is where it needs to be. And that's what this point is saying. If we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, then we have a lot of better, a better shot at doing what it is that God has called us to do. Now, I can't make you passionate about doing what it is that God desires for us to do. But if you have that passion, if you have that longing, if you have that drive to do what it is that God desires for your life, step one, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. The second step as we build our strategy in living for Christ is to trust God's word over my feelings. I need to learn to trust God's word over the feelings that I have in the moment. Here's why. You can take the steadiest person that you've ever met. You know people who are just like steady and even kill all of the time. This is their happy face. This is their sad face. This is the face that they look like when they figure out they've won $50 million. They're just kind of like even, right? Their feelings are rock solid. They're the same always. God's word is more consistent than that. And there are times that our feelings are up and down. But if we want to learn to imitate God, we want to live with sexual integrity, if we want to live with wisdom, we have to learn to trust God's word over how I feel in this moment. That can be a difficult thing to do. And I I will admit this to you. I understand that even saying it to you can feel confrontational. Because, you know, we do live in a culture. We do live in a society where we tell people, hey, do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. Do what it is what you think is right. I want to suggest to you that in the kingdom of God, there's a better way. And that is to anchor your life on God's word. And trust scripture more than you trust your feelings. Are your feelings wrong? Well, probably. But not always. But if we build our lives on our feelings, we're always going to be on this roller coaster. Because God gave us a ton of feelings. And we're always in them. And they're always changing. And that's okay. As long as... You're not basing your life on them. They're good when they're used properly. But our feelings were not given to us to make theological determinations. That's why God gave us the word of God. So strategy. Keep my eyes on the way of Jesus. Trusting God's word over my feelings. Unwavering value in pleasing God. 
That might seem a little strange to you. But it mentions it a couple of times in the passage, actually. In verse 10 and verse 17, both reference learning God's will, wanting to please God. Look in verse 10, it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 17 says something very similar. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. You show me somebody who's passionate about their life pleasing God. And I will show you somebody who is diligently seeking to walk with Jesus. So as you're trying to build your own strategy on on what can I do to live for God better Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And when I'm happy and when I'm sad and when my feelings are up and when my feelings are down. What do I do? You do these things. You keep your eyes on Christ. You trust God's word over your feelings. You have this unwavering value of pleasing God. And if you're making notes, make sure you write down everything I'm about to say. Number four, gracious yet honest self-examination. Gracious yet honest self-examination. I think that's an important balance. Some of us by nature are... We, we live feeling guilty, like we're not enough, like we don't stack up, like we're not good enough for the world. And so when I say to you to do self-examination, you just go right to everything that's wrong with you and you beat yourself up and you talk bad about yourself to yourself and all of this self-speak that's going on in your head about how you're not good enough, how God could never love you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You need to learn to be gracious with yourself because Christ was gracious with you. There's another contingency of people here who need to be more honest with their self because they don't struggle with beating themselves up. They struggle with seeing themselves too highly. So we need, the scripture says, the scripture says that we need to make sure that we're looking in on our life. Look at verse 15 again with me if you would. Look carefully then how you walk. Two words, gracious and honest. Have the courage to be honest. But if God has been gracious to you, then you need to learn to be gracious to yourself. Isn't that an important thought? That as we're self-examining, that we're being gracious and we're being honest as well. The last one, and then we're going to pray, worship As a way of life. I made the joke about how strange it sounds. But would you just hear this again? Addressing one another in psalms. Hymns. Spiritual songs. Singing. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always. And for everything to God. You say what do I fill my life with? If I'm stuck In sexual immorality. Fill it with worship. Fill it with worship. Fill it with looking at Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. Examining yourself. Trusting God's word. Worship is a powerful thing. Go into the Bible. And look at all of the circumstances of life. That have been affected. That have been changed. Because people started worshiping God. It's incredible. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to get ready for the Lord's Supper.
which is an incredible act of worship that the church does the first of every month. But as you stand to your feet and as you bow for prayer, can I ask you to put into practice what I've shared with you a few moments ago? Would you graciously, yet with honesty, examine where you're at with God? I'm so thankful that you're here today. Your presence, whether you're a guest or you've been here for a long time, is encouraging. But I wouldn't be a good pastor to you if I didn't suggest to you that God has a next step for you to take. I want to bring you to this point this morning where you're diligently thinking about what that might be. Maybe God is showing it to you right now. Maybe you need to receive the gift of life that Jesus offers for those who would give their life to him and follow him. Maybe you feel embarrassed about being at that step because you've been going to church for 20 years. You don't have to be embarrassed. We're cheering for you this morning. Maybe your heart's racing because you know that sexual integrity is not where you are and the Spirit is convicting your heart. I want to challenge you and plead with you to get right with God if that's what God is speaking to you. Lord, we're so diverse and varied. We're from different backgrounds and different levels of spiritual maturity. We're all in different places, yet we all want to take that next step with you. And so you see our hearts, Lord. You see what's going on in our minds. And we thank you that in this moment, you're able to at the same time respond to 300 people crying out to you in different ways. You're good to us. Thank you. Thank you for hearing the prayers that are being spoken inside of our hearts right now. Thank you for the change that's happening in people right now that are sitting next to us, standing just down the way from us. We pray for them. And Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we don't take it lightly. We remember. We remember what it means what it signifies, what it symbolizes. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you that you loved us enough that you gave yourself for us. We pray. We worship. We offer thanksgiving all in the name of Jesus. Amen.